0: Amen. Well, let's take a seat and if you want to find 1 Corinthians 10 again or stay with 1 Corinthians 10, but wasn't it wonderful just to sing that just then? The Lord is with me constantly. When Jesus would have sung that, imagine what encouragement it would have been as he faced the cross and to be encouraged that as he would go to the cross, the Lord would be with him constantly. But let's apply this pastorally to all of us as well that whenever we're going to college this week, the Lord is with you constantly. When you're going to work this week, you're not sure what to expect. The Lord is with you constantly. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen this week. Well, the Lord is with me constantly, Psalm 118, verse 7 says. So the title of the sermon is really a communion sermon for us. It's a simple word of exhortation and it's going to be based on just two verses for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16 and 17, which I'll read for us. Verse 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, and we all—for we all partake of the one bread. And so it's a simple communion sermon for us, and as we've just read in the Word of God about the one bread or the one loaf, we have one simple loaf tonight, and we can ask ourselves a question: What is the significance? Of there being just one loaf. What's the purpose of that? And um, because we've got three headings for us. The first one is it says here is the cup of blessing. And here we've got some cups and they're referred to as the cup of blessing. And uh, better is one day than a thousand days elsewhere. To drink of that cup tonight is a blessed thing. And there are saints all over the world who have been drinking of that cup uh, in the last 24 hours or so since the sun arose this morning way over in, I don't know, New Zealand, Fiji, whatever. And they'll be drinking of that cup in North America and South America all the way across to Hawaii and anywhere else. That we're part of something uh, big tonight. But what's Paul dealing with here in 1 Corinthians is dealing with the Lord's table. The Lord's table. We have a a table here. It's an oak table. Um, But the oak table is just simply supporting for us the bread and the wine, which is deliberately uh, in front of and lower than the pulpit. We're not having the bread and wine up here and the word of God down here. The word of God is is to rule over everything in the church. But there is a tight connection between the word of God and the administration of the sacraments. Well, what was the problem of the church in Corinth? Well, there were many, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we learn that one of the problems was that there was schisms that had developed in the church. So much so in verse 10 Paul writes and begins the letter and says, I appeal to you. That gets our attention. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So there were divisions in the church in Corinth. And in verse 11, Paul says, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people There is quarreling among you, my brothers. And then he says in verse 12, chapter 1, what I mean is this. Each of you says, I follow Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos. Another one says, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. And then Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And so if we turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 16 and 17. If I read that again to us, it says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So before we get to our first heading, that what we see here is the the oneness of Christ and his church so there weren't four loaves for the church in Corinth one loaf here that those people who say I'm of I'm of Apollos if you come to this table here and then those who say I'm of Peter or Cephas that will have a table for you and once as I'm of Paul and there's a table for you and the one who says well I don't follow any of those I just follow Christ and there's a bread there no 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 what What paul is teaching here that the body of christ is not divided that we're united together under the head who is jesus christ our lord and not only here either because protestants are not good at this either they say like the pharisee i thank god that i'm not like the pentecostals and they say i thank god that i'm not like the methodists and i thank god i'm not like this protestant group and they just lift themselves up by putting other people down. But the reality is, there's just one body of Christ in Sheffield. There are many expressions, and not all of those expressions are true expressions of the body of Christ. But the true body of Christ, there's just one true body in this city and around the world. So Paul's dealing with this context of division there, but let's get to our first heading, which is the cup of blessing. The second heading is the bread that we break. And thirdly is communion. Communion with God and with each other. So let's take a look briefly at verse 14 and see what Paul writes as we look at the cup of blessing. He says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless is, Is it not a participation or a communion in the blood of Christ? And we'll stop there. So he's telling the people to flee from idolatry. It's because there can be similarities in the Greek world between what they would do and then what the church would do. Not that the church would copy what would happen in pagan worship, but what would happen in pagan worship is that they would offer some kind of animal to their false gods. and Then they would drain the blood out of the animal and you would drink the blood of the animal to say that you're worshipping that deity. And Paul is saying this has got nothing to do with that whatsoever. This has got nothing to do with pagan religious worship. And so we'll come to that because you've got in the Orthodox Church and the roman catholic church they wrongly teach that the bread and the wine literally becomes the flesh of jesus and the blood of jesus and that is that teaching is anathema i mean even common sense teaches us that's not the case but so paul says here flee from idolatry and that exhortation is still true for us today because if something's important to God which the Lord's Supper is what can we learn the devil will do all that he can to confuse people about the truth if this wasn't important the devil wouldn't be bothered but because it's so important to God and to his church he does all he can to sow confusion But let's look at something else in this verse, verse 16. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Let's just stop there for a moment because the word participation, uh, I can't say it's not the best word, but the Greek word is a Greek word called koinonia. Koinonia, there's one for you to memorize to tender. Koinonia. Now that is one of the richest words in the New Testament, coin and ear, and it 's so pregnant. I was in the presbytery yesterday and and there was a lady at uh, rivka 's wedding who was very pregnant at the wedding she was some women get pregnant and it goes down, but some people it goes that way, and this lady it went that way, and she came, I came to leave the presbytery yesterday and and um, she came running up to me with this baby and just thrust this baby into my into my uh, hands. And uh, I noticed that she wasn't pregnant anymore, but she was definitely pregnant before. And and there was this baby boy. But this word koinonia is a pregnant word. It's so full of meaning. One of the richest words in the New Testament that Paul keeps on using here in verse sixteen and seventeen. In reference to the Lord, Lord's Supper, he says, the cup of blessing, it is a participation, it is a communion, it is a fellowship in the blood of Christ. So there's a close connection between this word, what is it to tender? Koinonia, and the Lord's Supper. It's such a beautiful word. It's sometimes translated fellowship. That if you have fellowship with someone, it's because you agree together. And so by participating in the cup of blessing, it's because we agree that the, the, the blood of Jesus the, is the only means by which we can be forgiven. So as we drink the cup tonight, we are participating In Jesus Christ, and all the benefits and blessings that that blood has purchased for us. So, what that means is the word coin and ear is there's this participation that this Lord's Supper tonight, if it's to be rightly administered, is not simply a memorial. We're not simply remembering what Jesus did. It it includes that. We've already said this is not that false doctrine transubstantiation. The bread and the wine, as I pray for it, it doesn't change and suddenly, you know, this, I don't know where that loaf is from, it's from a shop. It doesn't change and magically become the flesh of Jesus. But as we set it apart and the wine, as we drink it, is we are participating, we are communing with, we are fellowshipping with all that the blood of Christ means spiritually. And that's the key word to underline, spiritually. And so we spiritually commune with the Lord. In this case, the cup of blessing. And so therefore, it's a very rich thing for the church in the body of Christ. And so we see that rich word. And uh, now let me just say one last thing before we move to our second heading. Generally speaking, um, if you're drinking a drink, okay, a cup of tea or coffee, you generally speaking don't pass it to someone else who you don't know and say, here we go, take a sip. Is that, is that fair to say? You generally don't do that. You, you may with a friend, but you generally don't even do it that much with a friend. But if you did with a friend, it would be because you would know them and trust them. I can't imagine Jaffet being on the school playground tomorrow, and his mum has packed up a nice lunchbox for him, and he opens the lunchbox and he goes, Wow, today, it seems to be different to the days. his mum has put a can of Coke in there. He thinks, Wow, I love Coke. And I'm sure he won't get into the playground and go, pshh, show all of his mates and says, who wants a drink of this? He's probably going to save most of it for himself. But if he did let other people drink it with him, it probably would be because he would be friends with him and he would trust them. And that's what we've learned about the Lord's Supper and the cup of blessing. The fact that Jesus Christ hands someone the cup of blessing because he has called them to himself. As a result of that calling, they've chosen to be a disciple of Jesus, committed themselves to be a disciple. They've been baptized. You have to be baptized to have the Lord's Supper. And they have a good profession of faith. And then to think that Jesus Christ hands you that cup. Can you imagine? And then we get to drink that cup of blessing passed to us from the Lord. Now, can we see the Lord tonight? No, the Lord's invisible. But we can see the sacrament that he's ordained for us. So you may not be a partaker of the Lord's Supper yet, but may you eagerly long for the day that Tatenda would come to the Lord's table when she gets a bit bigger. Or somebody else may come to the Lord's table. It's one of the greatest blessings on this side of heaven. And so as we drink the cup tonight, we're reminded that there is in heaven waiting for us a wonderful marriage feast, a wonderful marriage feast. And we've just gone through a, 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 as a family and, and others, you know, a marriage feast recently, and there was only a couple of hundred people involved in the wedding. This one's going to evolve. People from every tribe and tongue and nation. And here's good news we don't have to get involved in organizing it. God Almighty has organized that wedding feast, and we are invited to it. All expenses paid for by Almighty God and purchased through the shed blood of Jesus. Our second heading is the bread that we break from verse 17. Let's take a look at verse 17, uh, sorry, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Notice two key words there. Notice on Japheth, it's the word one and the word many. Do you see that in the text? You've got the word one and then the word many. That everything in the kingdom of God goes from the one to the many. Not to all, but to many. Everyone won't be saved, but many will be saved. So right now, we have one loaf, and we're going to break that one loaf tonight, and the the tearing this we 've not used any knife on that one to cut it all nice prepared because there was nothing, nothing there was nothing pretty about the death of Jesus, and so the tearing of the bread, which looks messy, it points us to the messiness of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It was a costly salvation, so the one bread is. Torn and the tearing of it is to point us to the tearing of the flesh, the sinless flesh of the Son of God. And it goes from the one to the many. The one atonement of Jesus feeds the many. Now you remember in the Gospels, I'm sure Joshua knows this story that Jesus fed the 5,000, didn't he? And he fed the 5,000 on that occasion from how many fish, Japheth, from two fish and uh, five small loaves. And it fed 5,000 men besides women and children. But the atonement of Jesus feeds millions of people. This this loaf has been used in the church uh, since Jesus instituted it to be feeding the church spiritually in their millions over 2,000 years. What do we say to that? Hallelujah. What a gospel. And so we're dealing now with this phrase, "The breaking of the bread." It says, "The bread that we break is it not a participation, a communion in the, a fellowship in the body of Christ? So the one loaf is torn, and then we eat it. We ingest it, and it's only a tiny little bit. It's interesting. Different people. Some people take just a small amount, and some people like to rip a big piece off. It's not really the main thing. Whatever we take, we take as as, as if it's from the hand of Jesus, and that we are participating with fellowshipping in all the benefits of Christ and the tearing of his flesh for our salvation. Is there anybody tonight, you're, you're, you're a Christian, but you, you struggle with assurance. You wonder, you wonder, how do I know it's really for me? How do I know that this is certain? Well, the bread and the wine is to increase that certainty for us that all of God's promises are yes and amen through Jesus Christ. And so it's not an unbiblical thing that at times people suffer a loss of, uh, of assurance of salvation. That's not the main thing. The Lord's Supper is meant to strengthen us, strengthen us with that assurance of salvation because the devil loves to come and Beat up the church, and God has given us a means of grace here the cup of blessing, the bread that we break to strengthen His church. And so, may we be strengthened tonight. And before we move on to our last heading, question 96 and the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm thinking, do I really need to mention it? Because I think you've all memorized it, but just in case you can't quite remember, it's just slipped to your memory. It says, what is the Lord's Supper? And the answer is, the Lord's Supper is a sacrament wherein by giving and receiving bread and wine, according to Christ's appointment, his death is showed forth. So we see the death of Jesus showed forth here tonight from the bread and the wine. And the worthy receivers are not after a corporal, that's a fleshly manner, or a carnal manner, but by faith uh, made partakers of his body and blood. We're not partaking, as we've said, of the literal body of Jesus in a fleshly way, but we're partakers of his body and blood with all the benefits to their spiritual nourishment. So we are partakers, we are communing with all the benefits of the tearing of the body of Jesus, the shedding of the blood, Spiritually, and it's for our growth and grace. Do you remember when you were a child? Sometimes, and maybe you have it now, Jeff. That maybe mum and dad they they get a pen every year and they they might mark your height on on a door. A friend of mine moved house recently, and they'd be doing that with all their children. And that door had become so precious they actually took the door with them. to to the new house and actually had to replace the door. But you can see over a period of time uh, the growth of the children. And likewise, we can expect by faith for there to be growth in grace for all of us tonight. So that's why every time there is a Lord's Supper, to do everything that you can to be there as to when it's administered. So for us as elders we've planned to serve the Lord's Supper once a month in a morning service and once a month in an evening service. Because sometimes what can happen that people that work shifts, for example, um, if they were working, let's say, as an ambulance worker and they miss the morning service, it may be two months before they can take the Lord's Supper again. So that's why we have it in the evening service as well. But we encourage people to do all they can because it leads to our growth in grace and our third and last heading the cup of blessing the bread that we break and lastly thirdly that we have communion with God and each other 1 Corinthians 10 16 and 17 the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ the bread that we break is it not a participation in the body of Christ because there is one bread we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread. And as we close tonight about this word communion, this word which Japheth's memorized now, and to tender, what's it called? Koinonia. Koinonia. Begins with K. That that's a very rich term. And listen to this, that tonight when we have the Lord's Supper, and every time we have the Lord's Supper, we are... We'll say we, they, uh, we Can't make that an English word, but we are having communion with Almighty God. Isn't that amazing tonight? God comes down to serve us as he did his own disciples and wash their feet. But we don't only have communion with one another, uh, with God, but also with one another. Because sometimes people think the Lord's Supper, it's head down time, this is me and God, and they're locked in between them and God. But actually, that's not a biblical position. I'm not judging people's body language. What I'm saying is that we have fellowship and communion and participation in these best benefits with one another. So as we close tonight, thinking about the Lord's Supper, let me read one other question, 97 from the Shorter Catechism. What is required for the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper, it is required of them that would worthily partake of the Lord's Supper that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body and of their faith to feed upon him of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest coming unworthily they eat and drink judgment to themselves. And as we close tonight, let me just say just two or three things before I... Give a conclusion. We've read the word there, sacrament. We shouldn't run away from the word sacrament. I know there are certain high churches that use that word in a, and then apply it wrongly, but we shouldn't run away from the word sacrament. Uh, Baptist, there are only two sacraments in the church. They are baptism and the Lord's Supper. No more than two, only two. But we're going to say the Nicene Creed in a moment before we come to the Lord's table to confess our faith together. And also, if you're not participating tonight, don't think that you're not going to be blessed because the the whole point of the bread and the wine is to visually demonstrate the gospel to everyone. This is my last point before I make a quote from John Calvin and somebody else. Why is it important that families worship God together in the church? Now, there are many churches that halfway through the service, it may be announced, and can all the children leave now? Now, what's the problem with that? Well, throughout the history of the church for not 2,000 years, but 6,000 years, it's been normal for children to be worshipping together in the church. Why? Because we're one body. Now, I'm not saying there isn't a crash and things like that. I don't know if there were crashes in the days of Noah. I have no idea. But I'm not saying things like that. But it's important that children are not, um, uh, not allowed to see the administration of the Lord's table. Or what can happen sometimes in churches that, children can the kiddies now leave and they're they're ushered out of the church every single week and then they get to 15 and they're told you can come back in now and oftentimes they can think well why should I come back in now you've been saying to me for years this is not for me I actually don't want to come back in whereas having children part of the Lord's uh, worship is it becomes normal so for yourself this evening at Japheth and Tatenda you're to be looking forward to the day when you will be coming to the Lord's table. Are you looking forward to that? Is that exciting? That's great. Was that a nod from Jeff as well? It was. Two, two wholehearted nods there. Because this should become very normal so that they become like little olive plants in the house of the Lord growing up in the courts of our God. Well, as we close tonight, John Calvin says this, The Lord's Supper is given to us as a mirror in which we may contemplate Jesus Christ crucified and raised. It is not an empty or unmeaning sign, but those who receive the promise by faith are actually made partakers of his flesh and blood. Well, I'm going to stop there tonight. I'm going to... Uh, just give thanks to the Lord, and then we're going to confess the Nicene Creed together. Let's, uh, and then we'll read the words of institution. Heavenly Father, thank you for this brief sermon tonight. May it be used for the profit of the church and for the glory of God. And bless us now as we're about to eat together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to turn uh, all of us in our hymn books to the back, the very back of the hymn book, you'll find the Nicene Creed. It's the one creed that still to this very day unites the whole body of Christ. There isn't a lot that, that we can really say unites us, unfortunately, but the Nicene Creed is one such creed that unites the whole body of Christ, east and west. And we're going to confess our faith tonight because it begins with, I believe. So it's at the back, Japheth, there, if you can see it. And I think your reading, I'm told, is very good. So hopefully you can read this as well. And if there, are, if there are big, long words, Mummy will help you to know what it is. Are you ready to tender as well? And Daddy's in the back. Let's confess the Nicene Creed together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, of one essence with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Well, let me read the words of institution for us from 1 Corinthians 11, then we'll give thanks and we'll partake together. It says here in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Let me give thanks now for the bread and for the wine which we're about to eat and to drink. Our Father in heaven, Forgive us if we have ever trivialized the Lord's Supper. Forgive us if we've partaken negligently. We pray you'd cleanse us through the blood of Christ. We pray that you would set apart now this loaf and this wine for the purpose that you intend it. And we do beg of you, Lord, that we may all enjoy growth in grace as we participate in Jesus' name.